Welcome to the Fiber for Breakfast podcast, a series that discusses fiber as the critical infrastructure for today's growing broadband needs. Listen in as Gary Bolton, CEO and President of the Fiber Broadband Association, speaks with industry thought leaders and experts about connectivity issues and the impact on the remote workplace. I hope you enjoy today's discussion, which will start momentarily. And remember, subscribe and like this podcast on your favorite platform. Well, good morning, everyone, and welcome to the Fiber Broadband Association's Fiber for Breakfast. We're now in our 22nd episode of 2023. But before we kick off, I'd like to thank Wesco, the platinum sponsor of Fiber Breakfast, and our gold sponsor, Graybar. You know, yesterday, the FCC released the latest version of the national broadband maps. The biggest difference between, you know, from the former FCC national broadband maps and the new maps are that the new ones are location-based, not census block-based. So previously, if one location in a census block was deemed served, then the entire census block was deemed served. Um, you know, with the location-based maps, the FCC is now able to greatly improve the accuracy in determining the number of unserved and underserved Americans. So the new FCC national broadband maps will show that more than three, excuse me, 8.3 million U.S. homes and businesses lack access to high-speed broadband. 8.3 million, that means that they don't have 25.3. Uh, the new challenge process has greatly improved accuracy. So the FCC's mapping team has reviewed the challenges uh, to the availability data to more than 4 million locations and 75% of those have been resolved. Uh, the FCC has also improved collaboration by meeting with every state at least once and the FCC maps are continuing to become more accurate and will continue to improve. You know, by statute, the FCC will be releasing major updates twice a year. So this is great news that we're starting to get these maps all coming together because these new FCC's national broadband maps will form the basis, the baseline for the NTI's allocation of the $42.45 billion B funding to each state and territory by the end of June. So that's coming up pretty quickly. So I will be flying out Sunday to Santiago, Chile, for our first of our two Latin America Regional Fiber Connect events that uh, kicks off next week. So deployment of fiber in Latin America is going absolutely crazy, and I'm, I'm really excited to get down there. When I get back to the States, uh, we'll be quickly coming up on our next Regional Fiber Connect workshop in Lake Tahoe, California, on June 21st. So we hope to see you at beautiful Squaw Valley. It's going to be awesome. And uh, we really hope that you guys can join us there. Um, also, registration is open and going crazy for Fiber Connect 23 in Orlando. So this is the quickest that we've started to see registration ramp up in the history of the Fiber Broadband Association. Um, it'll be August 20 to 23rd. So this is going to be the biggest and best fiber broadband event in the world this year. We expect over 4,000 attendees and an amazing program. You know, the event's sold out the past two years, and it's pretty clear it's going to do the same this year. So don't wait to register. Please book your room at the Gaylord in Orlando. That brings us to today's Fiber Breakfast session with Ophir Schwartz, the founder and CEO of Capcom Networks, to discuss rural broadband operators, internet exchanges, peerings, and the user experience. You know, last week on Fiber Breakfast, we heard from Mike O'Day, the Chief Technology Officer for Corning Optical Communications, who discussing, discussed planning the future of fiber networks for S-Design consideration. 
you know, the key takeaway from Corning's chief technology officer is that fiber that was deployed in the mid-1980s continues to work great as fiber is a future-proof technology. That same fiber deployed nearly half a century ago will be delivering hundreds of terabits per second of data in the future. So what's in the ground is going to be lasting for decades to come. And today on Fiber the Black for Breakfast, we have the pleasure of hearing from Ophir Schwartz, the founder and CEO of Capcom Networks, discuss rural broadband operators, internet exchanges, peering, and user experience. Ophir Schwartz is the founder and CEO of Capcom Networks and oversees the overall vision and strategy of the business. With over 20 years of experience in the industry, he's a seasoned network connectivity expert and he's committed to improving the connectivity and bridging the digital divide, particularly in rural areas. Previously held positions at GigLinks Global and Velocity Networks, and he has a diverse background in telecommunications and has developed expertise in areas such as VoIP, SIP, call center solutions, wholesale, resale contracts with voice provider, and as a ASU, Arizona State guy, right. based in Austin, Texas. <laughs> um, so, Ophir, welcome yeah. in our audience. Please type in your questions to go, and we'll work them into the Q&A. That, awesome. let's get rolling. Thank you, thank you, Gary. Thank you for the intro. So yeah, so today, um, the discussion that we've got sort of queued up here is, is really centered for around rural broadband operators. It's something that's um, near and dear to us, something that we've been working really hard on um, here at Capcon and something that I like to talk about with um, rural broadband operators, just simply because rural broadband operators tend to be faced with challenges that other operators aren't really faced with. Um, and so today I really want to talk about how rural broadband operators can help level the playing field um, against larger incumbent providers that they may be uh, up against in their communities um, and get an understanding of why um, larger providers have so many uh, benefits over rural providers and how to, how, to, how to take steps and how to take actions to level that playing field. Perfect, perfect, perfect. So like I mentioned earlier, you, you know, everybody knows uh, what some of the um, benefits that larger operators um, have over smaller operators, specifically rural broadband operators, but today's discussion is really um, going to kind of dive into some of those details a little bit further, starting with the concept or, or really more so a business arrangement known in our industry uh, as settlement-free peering. Uh, and typically, settlement-free peering is something that you, you may have heard about or you may not have heard about, um, but it's typically reserved for only the largest providers. Um, they're typically known as tier one IP transit providers. And this is essentially a business arrangement where they're able to pass traffic to each other um, without having any money changed hands. So neither party pays either party in order to uh, pass traffic, which really allows for the free flow of traffic um, between eyeball networks, which is the uh, one side of the internet that is uh, critical, that's all you guys out there, the rural broadband operators, and the content side of the internet. That's all of the CDNs, the video streaming platforms, online education platforms, uh, IP telephony, online gaming, any destination um, for, for a typical HTTP request, uh, we consider that uh, on the content side of the internet and um, where users are sitting behind their TVs and their screens and, and their, their PCs at home or at the business, we consider those network operators eyeball operators. And in between the two, 
uh, for the really, really large providers uh, is settlement-free peering, uh, which is essentially the free flow of traffic between two providers or more providers um, and without any exchange of, 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 of money. So as you can imagine, um, there are significant benefits to uh, peering arrangements like this, but since they're only available for these large operators, the question becomes is how can we level the playing field for, for rural broadband operators? So some of the benefits that, that these larger operators are seeing are lower costs, uh, better quality networks, simply due to less hops in the networks, um, and, and virtually unlimited capacity. So, so how do we get to the point where um, a rural broadband operator can um, effectively create scenarios um, that look and feel a lot like what these large incumbent providers have today, and that's where internet exchanges come in. So, so what's an internet exchange? If you're not familiar with internet exchanges, they're essentially very similar to what I had described um, prior to, as far as uh, how, how large incumbent operators work, which is settlement-free peering. However, internet exchanges are actually a, a physical infrastructure that allow eyeball networks, ISPs, um, and content providers to physically interconnect with each other to exchange traffic. So internet exchanges have been around since the dawn of time, when it, since the dawn of the internet at least. Um, in fact, a lot of the early generation of the internet was centered around um, internet exchanges, or at least the concept of internet exchanges being a central hub um, based in a specific regional uh, location where everybody would bring their traffic to in order to connect to each other. That, that is the, the definition of the internet per se. And so today what we've got um, is we have a middle ground solution for rural broadband operators to help you guys close the gap between becoming a huge tier one IP transit provider, um, but also uh, realizing all the benefits that internet exchanges can offer. Again, so why use an internet exchange? Internet exchanges give you the ability to bypass major IP transit providers and connect directly with the party that your traffic is destined for or to. Um, IP transit, if you're familiar with the IP transit world, which if you're a rural broadband operator, you certainly are, um, you know, you were talking about the big carrier names, the, the, the Lumens and, and, and Aurelions of the world, um, that you've got to pay to send your traffic out to the internet to connect to the content providers, the Netflix of the world, uh, the Hulus, the Disney Plus. What Internet Exchange provides is a bypass um, so that you can hand your traffic off directly to those content providers without having to pay a middleman or a transit provider for that traffic. There's tons of benefits to Internet Exchanges. We can talk about that for a long time, but five key benefits that the Internet Exchange ecosystem provides are, um, the, the big one is obviously cost. Um, the cost to, to transit traffic over an, a transit provider, a typical internet provider, relative to the cost of what it would cost you per meg to send your traffic through an internet exchange directly to a content provider is vastly different. Um, we're talking about to the tune of anywhere between uh, 15 to 35% per meg or greater. Uh, that's so that's the, the tangible uh, quantitative uh, benefit of um, internet exchanges, but from a, from, a, from a more holistic look at it, improves latency uh, by reducing the, the number of hops between 
uh, the source, the request of the, of the data, and its destination. When you are connected directly to Netflix, uh, your traffic essentially traverses your network and connects directly into Netflix's local servers and returns that traffic back in a, in a quicker, uh, lower latency manner. And that obviously and, and ultimately leads to a better subscriber experience. Um, so improved network quality, uh, also enhanced capacity planning by adding internet exchange um, as, a diff, as, a, as a tertiary route uh, for your network, um, allows network operators to better control the flow of the traffic on their network, and then also allows them to access um, cloud service providers to expand their service base, um, to expand access to some of the world's most uh, powerful cloud service providers, such as you know the Amazons and Azures and AWSs of the world, and not to mention all the CDNs that are out there, the Cloudflares, um, you know, all the hosting companies that are hosting all the gaming websites, the, the, the Riot Games of the world, uh, they're all available via internet exchanges. Now that you know the, the benefits of internet exchanges, um, it's time to sort of pivot to, well, how do I get access to an internet exchange? What does that look like for me as a rural broadband operator? I, I want to take advantage of the cost savings. I want to take advantage of the better quality uh, uh, service that my subscribers will get. Uh, how do I get access to them? No internet exchange could really exist without the existence of what are known as carrier hotels. So what you see up here on the screen right now is actually a picture of uh, 151 West Front Street in Toronto, Canada. That's my hometown. It's where I grew up. So I thought it'd be a good uh, a good time to uh, to bring in some Canadian uh, Canadian blood to the uh, conversation. Um, and so carrier hotels are are, are ex essentially, if you were to picture a hotel, right, where everybody comes and they have their own suite or room in, in the building, that's exactly what a carrier hotel is, except each suite in that building is effectively a data center. And there's typically some common meeting rooms in those buildings that everybody uses to run cross connects. These buildings are, are neutral data centers, so they'll typically allow any carrier or content provider to enter uh, and they act as a central hub for operators and content providers um, to, that serve specific regions to meet and interconnect. And this is where you'll typically find internet exchanges. So major cities are gonna have carrier hotels. So we're talking about the, in North America, you're talking about Toronto, you're talking about Vancouver for Canada, uh, in the US, Dallas, Los Angeles, Palo Alto, New York, Boston, Atlanta, and Chicago. Um, all of them have internet exchanges and all of them can easily be referenced and accessed through a tool called PeeringDB. If you're not familiar with PeeringDB, uh, jot it down, it's, it's PeeringDB.com. But PeeringDB is a simple and easy way uh, for you to discover network providers that are regional, uh, or excuse me, internet exchanges that are regional to you. Um, and the, the, the search tools is very straightforward. It's, it's similar to Google in that you would just simply type a, the name of a company uh, that you want to connect to. So we're just going to use the 100-pound gorilla in the room, which is we'll, we'll just use Netflix. So if you want to find out, as an example, where does Netflix offer uh, direct peering? You can just simply just type in a city name or simply type in the name Netflix, and it will show you all of the exchanges that Netflix currently offers peering out of. You can click into that exchange. You can see all of the other peers that are available in that exchange. 
And you can also drill down into Netflix's specific criteria for what they're looking for in a peer. So going back to the example of um, Toronto, the Toronto Internet Exchange, which is otherwise known as Torix, um, to give you an idea of um, what sort of types of content and, and providers you would typically find in an exchange, on the very, very right-hand side, they've got this really nice uh, pie graph on their website that illustrates um, what type of providers you would typically find in exchanges. So the, obviously the largest portion are gonna be ISPs uh, because they're the ones that are driving all the traffic to the content providers, right? And then if you can, you can just go down the list, but pretty much every single color or type of provider other than ISP and telecom uh, provider um, that is in that list right there is effectively a content provider. And so this is a great illustration to show you how effective internet exchanges have become at bridging the two sides of the internet, the eyeball side and the content side of the internet. So the, the more peers, the better. If you guys are, 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 are taking note of PeeringDB, and you're probably, some of you are probably looking at it right now um, and discovering the power of that tool, uh, what you wanna look for in there are, are the number of peers. Uh, the number of peers typically is the more the better. Um, and you wanna find an internet exchange that is regional to, to your area. So if you're, for example, in the Arkansas, Louisiana, New Mexico, uh, Texas uh, region, um, Dallas, Texas would be the most ideal um, internet exchange location for you. Um, simply because that is the center of gravity for, for the internet for this entire region here in the South. Um, Atlanta is another one. Um, so Atlanta draws Florida, Tennessee, um, Alabama, and, and several other states around there, and then so on and so forth. You move across the country um, and looking for those regional centers of gravity for, for, for interconnecting with other network providers. So um, what we typically see with network providers that we work with is that when internet exchange is introduced into their network for the first time, up to about 65% of their total aggregate traffic can be peered off via an internet exchange versus being sent over a paid internet solution like a tier one IP transit provider. And so as you're trying to think about, well, how do I justify the cost of accessing the internet exchange? Um, really what it boils down to is, is cost per meg. What, was, what does it cost me to send my traffic out over these internet providers versus what would it cost me to send my traffic out uh, via an internet exchange? And the variance, the difference between the two can be, can be very, very large depending on how much traffic you have. Every meg that is sent out via an, an internet exchange at a lower cost per meg is, a, is one less meg of traffic that needs to be paid for to an upstream internet provider. So if you think about it in those terms, um, every meg I send out via an internet exchange is a, not only a cost savings to me, but is one more user that I'm serving better, um, that is having a better user experience, that I as an operator um, am, am, am effectively distributing my network over multiple routes to ensure uptime, security, so on and so forth. All those, those fringe benefits of internet exchanges.
as a you know as a as a consultant for, for rural broadband operators we don't want to always just look at things in a vacuum um as a as a broadband operator it's very very important that the strategy for your forecasted growth includes multiple avenues to improve the subscriber experience internet exchange is one of them but there are many many other avenues uh, that are alternatives to internet exchange that can really really help uh, improve the subscriber experience and also lower costs and reduce the dependency on paid upstream internet traffic. Some of them are edge caching solutions. So if you're familiar with them, um, most of them are, are at no cost or little cost to you as the broadband operator. All you have to do is offer uh, some co-location space for servers for providers like Apple, uh, providers like Google, Akamai, and several other ones to deposit caching servers into your network, which cache content that is traditionally high frequency content that your users are looking for. And those are very, very low cost solutions or no cost solutions that help reduce the dependency on upstream transit providers. Um, if you're an, a rural broadband operator and you've reached a level that you have enough traffic to qualify for certain types of solutions, um, providers like Netflix, Open, uh, Open Connect, uh, they offer their version of a content ca caching solution. Um, many of you probably already have this in place. And, and again, there's varying levels of this solution, but in some cases, Netflix will even bring their own dedicated transport um, so that they can backhaul traffic off your network into their network. Um, if you're not familiar with some of the third-party um, caching solutions that are out there, Quilt um, is a very, very, very effective um, content caching solution if you're not ready to move into um, a full-blown internet exchange type uh, model. But Quilt is a great service. Um, it, it effectively aggregates a lot of the content providers that are out there on the world and deposits their content um, into your network so that when subscribers call for that content, it's being delivered to them locally over your network, not transiting out to the internet to retrieve that traffic. That pretty much sort of sums up my, my discussion or presentation for, for today. I, I do wanna just kind of sum this up. Trish, if you wanna go to the next slide, um, you know, internet exchange, um, while it is a, a great solution for rural broadband operators, it is only one solution and, and it needs to be thought of as part of the total overall uh, network strategy for uh, broadband operators, especially rural broadband operators that are growing. Um, there's a, you know, obviously we, we're, we're headed towards the bead uh, funding season here, and that's going to drive subscriber growth. Um, you know, we'd like to see that all rural broadband operators are thinking well in advance on how to forecast capacity needs early um, and explore the impacts of adding these types of solutions into their networks to better serve their communities and better serve their subscribers, enable smart city applications, telehealth applications, um, and, 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 and overall increase the, the, the level of service that their, that their subscribers are experiencing and, and the quality of life in their community. That's the, uh, that's the nuts and bolts of the presentation, Gary. I, I think I'll turn it back over to you if we, I think we're pretty much right at time. Yeah, so Ophir, this is really great information. Um, you know, so some of the, I got a lot of questions here. The okay. one of them comes in and says, hey, is it worth all the work to get into an, an, an exchange? Is it worth it if you have less than 30,000 customer and no real issues? I mean, what is the, what's the tipping point where it, 
this is where the rural operator are getting involved. Um, you know, you got to look at these things on a case-by-case -case basis. Um, it, there is no one-size-fits-all sort of um, solution or answer for, for this. Um, in some cases, Internet Exchange may not be the right fit for a provider, right? Um, but in other, in other solutions or in other cases, it may be a necessity. So it really just depends on that particular operator's um, service footprint, um, where they are geographically, um, you know, regionally and throughout the country. And, and whether or not it's, it's, it's worth it. Because again, there, there are lots of alternatives to IX. The IX isn't the only solution out there, right? So um, it, it really is a case-by-cases type of uh, engagement. It's, it's high touch and requires um, a conversation. But, but I, I would say, generally speaking, yes. But again, it, it's, it's, it's really a discussion topic more than anything. Um, yeah. So. One of the questions is, is I wanted you to address the difference between a, co a cooperative versus a for-profit IX, and in your opinion, whether this, the distinction matters in the current market environment. I mean, the, the spirit of an IX is interconnection, right? So um, it costs money. I mean, they have to, um, you know, they got to pay for power, right? And they got to pay for rent. So um, I, I, I've seen both models. Both models are successful. Um, if it, typically what I see when a cooperative IX mar, uh, model is that it's typically ISPs trying to connect with other ISPs um, and they typically don't attract a lot of the large fish, right? The big fish, the big content providers, whereas the paid IXPs, they're typically located in the major carrier hotels in major cities. So um, they, I think they, they both serve purposes that are useful yeah. um, and they have use cases that are very relevant um, to, to broadband operators. And so they both should be looked at. But as far as the model itself, the business model, I think they're both valid um, and, and, and they should be considered as needed. That makes sense. Uh, what about one of the questions is, what's the financial impact of transport to the IX in your model? I mean, we can, we can boil that down very, very easily. It, the, the only factor that matters when it comes to transport and transit is what does it boil down to cost per meg? Let's compare transport. If you're a rural broadband operator, transport is a necessity no matter what. So there is no solution where, where a rural broadband operator connects to the internet without transport, in, unless you're already taking down co-location and, and all those other very expensive CapEx and OpEx heavy expenses. But most rural broadband operators are not. So transport is a necessity. So what is my cost per meg um, total all in? to send traffic out over my transport and upstream internet connection uh, uh, providers, excuse me, versus what is my cost per meg to send it out over transport via an IX. And that difference right there is typically in the 15 to 35% difference range. And then a uh, similar question is, you know, if you're a rural provider that's a long way from a city with an IX, you know, how do you trade off the price of transport against the price of transit? Is that really come down to more of the latency and the quality benefits? Um, well, so again, even, whether you buy internet, if you're a rural broadband provider and you go to an AT&T and say, ah, I want 100 gig of AT&T internet, right? They're bringing you the transport and they're bundling it into the cost. So whether you parse it out and purchase your own transport and your own upstream provider, or you buy it as a total solution from somebody else, it all boils down to cost per meg. 
and that's really where the where the side by side comparison has to happen to make to to determine whether or not it's it's a it's feasible from a cost perspective and whether or not the 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 more ancillary benefits such as lower latency less hops um, tertiary routes um, you know all of the other benefits are worthwhile for you and th those are business decisions that each broadband operator has to make on their own. Well, Pierre, this is a super interesting topic and really appreciate what you and your team are doing to advance rural broadband. So thanks to everybody for joining us today. We look forward to getting back together next Wednesday for Fiber Breakfast. So you're not going to want to miss that. We'll see you guys next Wednesday.